RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Hey, welcome to Crush Performance. I am Jeff Cruschel. The con man is behind the glass, keeping us on track. And we're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, reach out to us. Crushperformance.com is the website. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and our cool new YouTube channel. You can search out Crush Performance. And we're just hooking you up with the cutting edge and the most recent information that might help you tap into your potential. And that's what the show is all about. Today on the show, we've got some interesting things going on. Uh, Again, Connor, listen, we say this every season, it seems. But I have to tell you, I'm looking at the sporting landscape right now, and this might very well be my favorite time of year for sport. I think I've said that four times this year already. I mean, we know this. We know this working in the industry, the sports media, you, of course, in the actual professional sports industries, that there really is no off-season. There's not... There's there's a couple of days in the summer where not a lot goes on, but you still got the CFL, and it's usually right around the Major League All Star break where it's slow. But that's it. You know, Christmas Day we've got games. You know, in the fall is everything ramps up. In the spring, there's still things going. NHL playoffs, basketball playoffs, baseball starting. There's no slow time. So I think it's kind of as we cycle through the year, you're like, oh, I really like this time of year. It might be my favorite, and and I don't blame you. But this one actually might be my favorite. Yeah, I agree. Happening. Yeah, you got it, man. We got the NHL rumbling. We got the NFL underway. We've got Major League Baseball. It's a very bizarre season in Major League Baseball, uh, but it, the playoffs are right around the corner. And of course, college, high school, and school sports are underway. My niece and nephew, they're going to their basketball and indoor soccer uh, tryouts today just to get tiered properly. So moms and dads, coaches, athletes of all ages are well underway, which I think makes this show maybe even more important uh, just because of the timing of the year. Today, I want to talk about impact players. Uh, We'll talk with our good friend Alan Mitchell and about the contributors, uh, the contributions of Connor McDavid. Al had a fantastic article this last week in The Athletic, and it broke down Connor McDavid's contribution to the Edmonton Oilers' performance. And we all knew Connor was great. We all know he's great. But when you break down the numbers... Um, I was blown away. I was taken back. I'm going, holy cow, this is a true impact player. And that's going to be something I want to talk to Al about. Not just about Connor McDavid's contribution to a team, but what one talent can do for a franchise and for the players around them. And uh, we'll have low tide coming up in the next segment. And it got me thinking about all of the great players who aren't just impacting sport right now, but have changed sport over the years. Which brings us to our text question of the day, everybody. The text number is 101260. You can get to us there. And here's the simple question. Who do you believe is the greatest team impact player of all time? 
It's a tough one. Maybe you want to rank your top three, but if you have one player that you feel contributed to your team or a team more than anybody, let us know. Uh, Connor, I'm going to ask you later what your pick is. I have a couple. I I really couldn't narrow it down to one because there's so many there. But when Al broke down Connor McDavid's contributions to the Edmonton Oilers, man, I'm telling you what, I was literally blown away. Yeah, and it's a really interesting topic. I know you you mentioned to me just before we got on here, you know, think about one because we're going to talk about it on the show. And I had one that came to mind, and he's he's not a, an athlete that is a part of my favorite team. It's not my favorite sport, but for whatever reason, he just stuck out, and it kind of ended up looking at his statistics more. I'm I'm happy with what I what I came up with, so we'll oh. share that later on in the show. And I, I hope it's not the same as that you have, but uh, it is a very interesting topic. And if you're from Edmonton or a fan of the NHL, uh, you know that the Oilers have been a sorry team for the better part of the last decade. Uh, Connor McDavid has been one of the best players, if not the best player in the game. And, and at times doing it, you know, with other guys potentially dragging him down. So uh, t- to see the article from Alan Mitchell, the statistics that he brought up, um, a little surprising. But at the same time, I mean, we've, we've known what Connor McDavid is. He's a guy, he's a franchise changing player. And that the Oilers haven't been able to change it yet is it's a little surprising. Well, and you said a very important thing there. He is a franchise changing player. And that's a, an important part of this topic. So we're going to get to your answers later in the show. We're going to talk to Low Tide next segment about his research. We're going to talk about the numbers from Connor McDavid. But it got me thinking about how important talent is. Ladies and gentlemen, I really do want to talk about um, the talent and the talent development side of things. And that's, and that's kind of where we're going to focus here on our, on our first segment. Later in the show, Connor and I will break down the NFL season at the start of every season. As you know, if you listen to the show, we pick our top teams, our top storylines, and the NFL is underway. So it's really, really good timing for us. So we're going to talk about that. But right now, I just want to uh, um, talk about player development and long-term athlete development. And if you know my background, my background is sports science, athlete development, talent acquisition. I was a strength coach for the Toronto Blue Jays way, way back in the day when strength training really wasn't a big part of that sport. And I was lucky enough to go to school at a university where um, they were pushing the boundaries. It was on the front side of the Olympic training models and also pushing the science behind uh, um, talent development. So I came in through... I came through this industry at a very, very cool time in history. But I can tell you this right now, for the athletes that I work with, and especially for the young athletes that I've been seeing out there, 12, 13, 14, 15, and up to 16 years of age, I get a little worried about, about their potential. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I am worried about the, their potential. And I have a question for everybody, parents, coaches, and the athletes out there. And this comes from a trip I just did down to the Vauxhall Academy here last week. It's one of the best baseball development high school programs on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, They really do things the right way. But I was talking to a couple of their players in our individual meetings who are 14 years of age. And the 14-year-olds want to try to compete with the 18, 19-year-olds, and that's just not possible. And just getting into the mindset of these young players, I was really interested to kind of get a glimpse at how they're thinking and then how they come up with the idea that they, as 14-year-olds, need to or even can compete with 18, 19-year-old players who are you know, traveling the world with Team Canada or entering their college scholarships or even signing pro. It's just not realistic. But I think the pressure we're putting on our players right now 
uh, is mounting and pushing them in that direction, Connor, if you would agree. So my question to everybody is, are you sacrificing your future performance for performance right now? It's a big problem. We have this peak by peak by Friday kind of mentality out here right now where we all want the best for our young players. As coaches, we want the best for them. There's no question, and I understand that. As parents, as teachers, as organizations, we want the best for our young players, especially if they're passionate about sport and they want to chase down the dream, whether it's going to um, your local travel team in hockey, basketball, and whether it's making the volleyball team at your junior high school or high school, or whether it's going through the high school program to get a college scholarship, or whether it's signing pro. What we have to keep in mind, it's a long game. And I think, Connor, this is something that's missing. And I'm comfortably going to say this right now. And and people, if you're listening and you disagree with me strongly, please let me know. But I'm going to say this. Collectively, as a whole, we are destroying way more talent than we're creating. And I'm talking from six, seven-year-olds right up to our entry-level pro athletes, both male and female. We are truly, truly destroying more talent that we're creating and, and not because we're trying to with the greatest of intentions. Would you agree with that, Connor? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, uh, I would agree with that and you see it early. I mean, we, we've talked about lots of guys. There's, there's some athletes that just don't develop at a faster pace. And we at times can discount them at a young age because they're not the best of the best. Uh, a local product, Colton Pareko was one who, you know, took a little bit longer to develop. Then he gets to college and, and he shows you want to go with the NFL. How about Khalil Mack? He was a two-star recruit coming out of high school. A lot of teams have disregarded him, but now he's one of the best defensive players in the league. I think you're right. At, at times, we can be a little dismissive of some athletes at a younger age because they're not quite where they are or, you know, the, the top might be. Right. Agreed. Now, let me ask you a second question that to sort of a, a, to peel away the, the layers of the onion here. Do you think we put too much pressure on our young athletes to succeed? Um, and maybe it's not even intentional pressure. But I think the way we're going about our business now in the developmental model, look, it's an industry. Youth sport generated over $15 billion of revenue in North America last year. And that's more than any of the pro leagues generated. So the landscape is changing. There, there's academies, there's private coaching, there's these private uh, um, training uh, facilities that are, are charging money. Um, you have teams who are now traveling. You have all of these tryouts and showcases, which kids feel and parents feel they need to be at or they're missing opportunities. So there's all these things that are now um, pushing our athletes to train more, specialize early. And I think the pressure's on, Connor. Now, I mean, just just to play devil's advocate here, do you think for some young athletes that could be a good way to do it? And just, I mean, Connor McDavid's had this pressure his whole career. I mean, since he was 14, he was highly touted, uh, went to the OHL, was expected to be kind of the next Sidney Crosby. And for him, he's been able to live up to it. He's, he's met those. He's been a league MVP. He's led the league in scoring. Do you think for some kids, depending on the mental makeup, it can help them? Yeah, I do. I really do. And I think it has to be a special kid. And that's where parents need to be aware. But I also think that there's more than one way to get there. Absolutely. And so, like, if we go back to the WHL Bantam draft, okay, and there's some great data. So let's go back to where we really have the numbers. And now not only do we have the numbers, we also have a picture of those players and their careers. So listen to this. I'm just going to pick a couple years between 1997 and 2008. Connor, I'm going to get you to guess a number, okay? So in 1997, we have the top five picks from the Bantam 
draft. How many of those players played in the NHL in 1997? The top five picks from the Bantam draft. Oh, let's go with one. One. Bingo. Ding. You get a prize. Okay, so let's go to 2001 of the top five players in, in the Bantam draft, WHL Bantam draft in 2001, Connor Holly. How many players played in the NHL? Zero. Actually, four of the five. Oh, a good, right. a good class that year. Yeah, let's go to 2005. Here's the final final Jeopardy. In 2005, Conman, of the top five picks in the WHL draft for 2005, how many of those players played in the NHL? I'm going to go with two. Zero. <sighs> right? So it's a tough call. But the point of that is, if we look at our ability to identify talent early on, it's dismal. It's dismal. I don't like the Bantam draft. I don't know what we're trying to accomplish by the Bantam draft. I think the international signings in Major League Baseball at 16 years of age, I, I'm really rooting for an international draft in this, in this next collective bargaining agreement because 16 is too young. I've seen these kids get signed, go off to their teams, totally collapse because they're not either physically ready to be playing with, 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 with players that are so much more advanced or so much older than they are. Or they're just not ready to go to that next level. And they come back early and the careers are over. I would rather have this long, slow development process. So getting back to a conversation that I had with this young 14-year-old in Vauxhall. Very talented player. He has one goal and one goal only. And I love the power of thinking big. Um, his goal is to really have great success at the professional level. I won't, I won't say what his goals are because I'm just going to watch and see over the next 10 years to see what happens. But the average age of a player breaking into Major League Baseball is 23 years of age. Some are earlier, some are later. The average age is 23. A little bit older for pitchers. Uh, this player happens to be a two-way player right now. He's probably going to be a pitcher moving forward. But the pressure this young player is feeling to, uh, to succeed at the age of 14 isn't tangible. It doesn't make sense. And to sit back and paint the picture for him, I think was really, really rewarding for both he and I as we mapped out his plan. First of all, understanding, you know, what your timeframes are. He has nine years, if he's, if he's going to get there, to worry about professional baseball. And to look at the developmental process of an athlete, until you get through your maximum growth phase, you really shouldn't be weight training hard. And honest to goodness, we need to have our athletes playing as many sports for as long as humanly possible. And we have athletes now who are specializing at eight, nine years of age, partly because of the year-round attraction of talent development. And again, the draw, the, the draw of specialization. So getting back to your point, Connor, could the academies and could this new landscape be beneficial? Yes. Some of these academies are going to be incredibly important. The school academies I'm talking about are going to be incredibly important for guiding future talent development because it's out of control. At least with the academies, if it's a good school academy, they can help direct a player. Does a player need to specialize right now? Can they play, if they're in a hockey academy, for example, can they play volleyball? Can they go curling? Can they play golf in their offseason? Can they um, uh, pick and choose or help the parents and the players identify which showcases to go to or when the player is ready, uh, where they can go to get exposure? Those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm talking about. And I think... Connor, I'm really worried about the future potential of our young athletes, and that's why. Absolutely, and 
I know that's something on the Jason Greger show we talk about a lot. You know, the specialization, it doesn't have to start early. Let kids play different sports, develop other skills. Uh, you and I have had the conversation before. I coach soccer. Um, the kids that play other sports, you can just tell. Their movements are better. They're just, they're just you know, the, the footwork might be quicker. Things like that. Uh, the intelligence, the ability to kind of, you know, adapt and react on the fly is advanced. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And for some kids, we can't say everyone, for some kids, specialization might work. But for the majority, I think it's best to have them in a diverse amount of sports, play a bunch of things, and switch it up year-round. You don't need to play one sport, nope. you know, every single day of the year. Nope, you're 100% right. So two things. Parting note for this first segment. Listen, if it's not fun, it's going to be really, really hard to get good at it. So it's got to be fun. And, and number two, you don't need to specialize early. Play as many sports as long as possible. Talent development is a long game. Speaking of talent development, Alan Mitchell, our good friend, a.k.a. Low Tide, had a fantastic article earlier in the week uh, in The Athletic looking at Connor McDavid and his contribution to the Oilers. We're going to talk about that as Low Tide joins us right after this break. And we're also going to discuss, further discuss, our text question of the day, 10-12-60. What is the greatest impact team player of all time? And you're right, it doesn't have to be a team player it could be a team member somebody mentioned belichick already in the text line i love that one coaches and gms hey they can have as much of an impact as any player on the field so let's hear it um and yes i was figuratively blown away by the numbers we're going to discuss with al mitchell right after this stick around everybody find out what it takes to be a top performer get the crush blog podcast and newsletter at crushperformance.com now back to the show all right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Jeff Cashel here, the con man behind the glass. Uh, you are listening to Crush Performance. Reach out to us. Questions, comments, smart remarks, we love them all. Crushperformance.com is the website. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush. And on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, you can search out Crush Performance. We're just trying to hook everybody up with the latest research and information on athlete development and human performance, for that matter. And listen, if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate, let us know. We answer every message we get, and we've dedicated segments, even entire episodes, to uh, your ideas. And it's really cool because I think you guys get us thinking sometimes as much as we hope to get you guys thinking. So it's a great partnership out there. We would love to hear from you. All right, so we're talking about talent, talent development, and it's sort of weaved its way into impact players, which brings us to the crush Text question of the day. And there's been some great ones already and ones that I can't argue with, but they're not on my list. So this is going to be a real interesting debate. The crush question of the day. Who is the greatest impact team player of all time? And a couple of the texts have really got me rethinking my question. (laughs) Do the greatest impact team person of all time because there's been a couple of coaches on the list now and a couple GMs as well and let me tell you those people might even have more influence on a franchise than anybody else so it's hard to pinpoint where where the influence is coming from but let me tell you something right now if you can harness capture or sign on the dotted line one of the great generational talents you can change the future pathway of a franchise. Our good friend Alan Mitchell had a fantastic story earlier this week in The Athletic that broke down Connor McDavid's contributions to the Oilers. And we all knew that Connor was great. We all know this. But when you see these numbers broken down like this, 
man, I, I had to step back and go, wow, how many times have we ever seen this before? Alan Mitchell, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I know, I want to let everybody know that you do read all the emails because I wrote 40 saying have, have low tide on and you finally did it, so it's good. <laughs> It you took us a that. year and a half, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> a long time. It took a long I started writing before you had a show. I, I anticipated <laughs> Well, I love it, Al. And I'm telling you, so I've been traveling a lot. It's, the, it's just been this crushed summer performance tour. We've been all over the world, and it's been really rewarding because our job, of course, is helping organizations uh, and, and groups and, and teams develop talent. Um, and I was on my way be- home between trips, and I, I, you know, I get my on my app, I get the articles, and and you're posted as one of my favorite uh, authors, by the way, or, or oh, writers. Nice. Um, but I caught your article on Connor McDavid. I just got a glimpse of it, and I'm going, and I just had this. I stopped everything for like two minutes, and I got deep down into these numbers. I cannot believe the contributions of one player here, Al. It's incredible. The 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 Edmonton Oilers when Connor McDavid is on the ice are a Stanley Cup contender. When he's off the ice, they're, they're among, if not, the worst team in the National Hockey League. And it, it's, it, you know, it's not like coaches don't understand this. It's not like the general manager has tried to create a team like this. And it's unfair because the, the, the player himself has earned you know, a playoff berth every year. But it's a team sport, and he plays about a third of a game, about 20, maybe 21, 22 minutes, about a third of the game. The, the Edmonton Oilers are, when he's on the ice uh, over, over a period of time, they're, they're definitely in the black. They're a plus team over the last two or three years. When he's off the ice, it's, it's, it's really kind of ghastly. And it's too bad, and, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing, because I think a lot of what Ken Holland did this summer was trying to get that third and fourth line a little more maturity, a little more established, a little more NHL experience. And I, I think that's the goal to try to stop the bleeding on those two lines. No question. And, and Al, one of, the, one of the numbers or the two numbers I think that really made me go, what was that differential between uh, McDavid on the ice and when he's off the ice? It, 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 it's, not, it's not even that it doesn't even look like the same team. It doesn't look like the same level. No, it doesn't even look like the same sport. It's, you know, and you can see, like, when McDavid's on the ice, there's a lot going on. The other team has their best uh, uh, players out there, too. And, and really, if you take his last three seasons, McDavid has been spectacular. They, they flagged a little bit uh, this past year, but coaching changes will do that to you. But the, the, the Oilers um, made the Stanley Cup playoffs in 16-17, not because they had a balance and not because they were a good team, but because they had Cam Talbot in goal stopping everything, and then McDavid's line was going crazy. That that's I think Holland's going to build a team that is that has more than that. But right now they're going to have to rely on McDavid and and goaltending, and that goes to uh, you know, you, the fact that they're they're still trying to build that talent on the second and the third fourth line, and obviously on defense. Yeah, we're talking with Alan Mitchell, host of the Low Tide Show on TSN twelve sixty, and of course. Um, uh, reporter for The Athletic, talking about his awesome article on Connor McDavid's push for 50 goals uh, coming up here in 2019-2020. What's your prediction for Connor McDavid this year, Al, if you, if you could make one? Well, I had I had him at the, the the series I did. That was the kickoff to reasonable expectations. And I, and I go through every, you know, 
the forward group and then the defense and, and the goaltending. And I have him at just shy. I'm at 48 goals. And I would have had him at 50, but I'm a little, I was a little worried about his, uh, you know, health. I see him on the ice today and he's flying. So, uh, there, once again, uh, Connor McDavid is, he slow plays and low keys everything. But I think, the reason I think he could score 50 goals, and I'm not saying he will this year, I haven't predicted it, but the reason I think he could, in, in the next couple of years, is he still in his prime until he's about 25 or so, and he could still have great scoring years after that. But two years ago, he, he played in 82 games, and he had 274 shots. And he had fewer a year ago. He played four less games. But he also, I think he was deferring to Dreisaitl a lot, who was pushing for 50. If you take uh, McDavid's shot total of 274 from two years ago, and you give him the, his shooting percentage from a year ago, 17.1. By the way, his shooting percentage is going up and improving every year. He had about 48.5 goals. So McDavid scored 41 goals two times in a row, and I think it's lulled us into a sense of, well, he's a 40-goal scorer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really suggest that, that it may not be this coming year. It may not. But one of these years, he's going to post a goal-scoring number that is going to shock people. Yep, I agree, Al. There's no question. It's there for the taking, isn't it? They just need to set up that incredible support structure around him. And I think he's a type of player, and we've seen these players before, that's going to make everybody around him better. And there's no doubt about that. We've already seen it. And you made an interesting point there about, you know, his first and second year in the league and how he's sort of, we've been watching his game change. That's sort of maybe the maturation of getting into this level of the game. He's slowly coming into, I think, maybe his NHL game. Yeah, and he's, you know, Dave Tippett, when he took over, he said something I thought was very interesting. He said, you know, we're probably going to back off his time on ice and reduce his penalty killing uh, time. And I think I think that's a good idea. McDavid has such great wheels that you, you, you know, you feel like, man, he's never tired. Well, probably true. He's young and he's, he's got, you know, iron lungs, but... The other side of that is, you know, he might not be tired, but he may not be at optimal effectiveness when he's playing 22 minutes a night. So I think backing him off a little bit and on a night when they're up 6-1, you know, maybe give him some extra rest and just roll four lines. I think Tippett has the right idea. You you want to go to the the thoroughbred when you need him, but that's not every night. It can't be every night. And and I think now McDavid's got to adjust to that, too, because I think he loves playing a lot. Uh, But I think it'll make them more effective, and if they do go to the playoffs, uh, he'll be he'll be very effective too. He's just you know I I think it's probably hard for a coach not to run him out there a lot because he he. He, he looks like a threat every time he's on the ice. Yeah, no question. Al, we're talking to Al Mitchell, host of uh, Low Tide here on TSN 1260. Al, you, 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 you're preaching to the choir here. There's no doubt about it. This is pure athlete management, load management. We saw it in the NBA this year. We saw it with the Raptors this year. Really, really smart move. And I think a strong message also to send to all the parents of developing athletes out there who are just, man, jam-packing these schedules of their kids when their kids are going to school, having homework to do, maybe they're taking music lessons. There's a big message here, but athlete management starts really, really young, and it doesn't stop just because you're a pro. Yeah, it's true, and I think that the... the, the I remember hearing a, a, um, an interview that you did, uh, and I think it was about A-Rod, but it was years ago on this show, where you where you talked about with your guest about, about uh, you know, putting all those things aside and just bearing down and concentrating on the one thing at hand. And the one thing that elite athletes can do, like A-Rod and like Conor McDavid, is 
for some reason, they have an ability to put all the, the clutter and minutia out of their mind and, and drill down on that one spot that is important, a game or, or a shift or whatever the case may be. And it's a real gift, and I do think that it's, I mean, you, you can quantify it by the results, but, but I, I think it separates from the, the great athletes from, from the ones who are also very good, but not, not at that elite level. Yeah, and so they got me thinking about, Al, got, your, your article really got me thinking about talent, the value of talent on today's market. Let's just face it, professional sports, ladies and gentlemen, it's a commodities market. It's guns for hire, literally. If you have a talent and it's valuable, somebody will pay you dearly for that talent. And so talent development now is one of those critical, it's an industry now, let's just face it. But understanding talent and talent development is really, really important. And you and I have talked about this many times. Um, The difference between um, organizational development development, talent development, and acquisition, and the independent athletes who are trying to break in. It's a very different approach to those two sides of the of the coin, so to speak. It is, and it's funny because there are baseball teams, and it may not be that way now, but I remember a few years ago, like a couple of decades, there were baseball teams that weren't necessarily great at the draft, but they were outstanding at, at uh, scouting other other teams' players at a lower level and getting them in the Rule 5 or, or trading them when they were uh, young players who were just prospects. The Cardinals were really good at that. Now they, they, they're they so deep at pitching, I don't think they can ever get to the bottom of their pile, but the 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 key, I think, from an organizational point of view is to just get as many players throw against the wall and whatever sticks sticks but from a from an athlete point of view you want to be that special player and and the 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 sophistication now of the athlete and and doesn't matter what sport it is the training the the downtime the the period of time you take off during an off season it's it's uh it's highly regulated and i mean maybe it's a guess but even sleeping as you've shown even like sleeping patterns and making sure that your your you know whatever your game time is that you're optimal all of those things are are contributing and what's different is now there might have been one or two players uh say 10 15 years ago now it's entire organizations that are doing it and i think that that's part of development even though it, it's it's sort of an organizational thing as opposed to a personal thing. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot more uh, crossover in disciplines when it comes to organizational performance, Al. A real strong connection between the coaching staff, the medical staff, the player development staff, and also the development of the minor league assets, that minor league players. It's all really coming together. Some teams are a little farther behind. Some teams are ahead in certain areas. But we're really looking forward to this next decade of athlete development. And that brings us to our text question of the day, Alan Mitchell. The greatest impact team player of all time. So we've asked our uh, awesome listeners to throw in their two cents to this conversation. There's really good answers. I have my top three picks. I don't know who I'm going with yet. But if I were to ask Low Tide, who he believes is maybe the most impactful team player of all time, would there be somebody that stands out in your memory, Al? Well, now you have to let me. Can it be an off-ice position like a coach or a general manager? Well, you know, we're actually our first text in (laughs) says this. Sadly, Bill Belichick. (laughs) And rightfully so, I guess, right? Yeah, he's he's a difference maker. Sam Pollock of the uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, they asked him, even though he's a GM of the Canadiens, to to uh, write the rules for the 1967 expansion draft, and and that 
laid the groundwork for them to win uh, Stanley Cups in, in uh, 68, 69, 71, 73, and then through to the, uh, I think it was 75 to 9, or 76 to 9. There was about 12 years there where they won about eight or nine cups, and that was, he, he designed it so Montreal would be protected more than any other team because they had more talent, uh, but a lot of a lot of the, what happened after that was because of Sam Pollock's brilliance. So and, and the league asked him to do it. So it's not like he went you know undercover and did it. So he and Belichick would have an impact. But as far as athletes on the field are concerned, that I could you know suggest having had make, made an enormous difference. Uh, I don't think you can have the conversation in this town without mentioning Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, simply because he was uh, he, he just played the game at a different level. He was he was. Uh, he, he passed the puck to where Yari Curry was going to be, and and I used to go up in the bleeders because that's all I could afford at, at Northlands, and I'd watch him him come in over the line, curl, and then wait for everybody. To, it was almost like he was waiting for people to settle where he thought they should be, and then Curry would come in, Curry would come in, and he'd send him the puck to where he thought Curry should be, and bang, it was in the net. And and so I would I would say Wayne Gretzky has to be mentioned. Uh, and and uh, uh, there's um, or uh, I, I would mention too and how before him, but I I didn't see how in his prime. From the from the uh, uh, football point of view, th- that's a tougher one because there's there's you know is Brady Belichick or is Belichick Brady? Mm-hmm. But, but I would say that that uh, certainly Tom Brady has had, and I believe me, it gives me no uh, joy to say it, but Tom Brady has has. Uh, reached a level where I, I don't. I think he could be regarded as incomparable at that position, and is an important one, a very important one in a team sport uh, in the National Football League. And after that, I think you're, you're you know, I'll, I'll say one, and then people will get very angry, but I, I will. I the best baseball player of my lifetime is Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. And and I know that that means a lot of argument about about juicing and all of those things, uh, but if you go back to when he was a skinny, uh, uh, running, brilliant outfielder with Pittsburgh through his entire career, and if you if you make an allowance for whatever occurred, uh, I think I think if you if you remember Barry Bonds in his prime, where he was basically routinely walked several times a game just to be avoided. Uh, I've never seen, and I, and I think people's memory of this is fading and it irritates me, but I think Barry Bonds was, had the biggest impact as a player uh, in my lifetime in baseball, and, and I, we and I have talked about juicing and all of that and what it means, but if we take that out of the conversations, then, then, then I have to put Barry Bonds on that list. Yep, fair, 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 Alan. I, I think I can't, can't not, not agree with that. But it brings up another question. If you're okay, just hanging on for a couple more minutes here. Sure. I want to get your, your thoughts on this because it brings up another question. You talk about the greats, Gretzky. You talk about Barry Bonds. You take, talk about Gordy Howe. You know, we could talk about Jordan, the supporting cast here. I wonder, you know, if we took took those players and changed their their supporting cast, what would have happened? That supporting cast, those other players around them, you mentioned Yuri Curry and Gretzky. Man, I, I was a kid watching those guys. It was magic. They were inside each other's heads. And I don't think we see a lot of that nowadays. Or for a GM or an organization to build that kind of a chemistry to support your star players, maybe that's the trick now. Yeah, it is. And I think that you're seeing that in Edmonton where 
where there was a, a sense of, well, we'll just get a lot of these really good players like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lucic and, and we'll pull Hall out and trade him for this guy. Well, it doesn't really, you, you need to have a cluster of talent and, and they have to be young and then you can add veterans on top of that and, and they are important. But I, I, I think that the, like, let's take the Pittsburgh Penguins as an example. They've had a hell of a run here. I mean, Crosby was drafted almost 15 years ago, and they won a Stanley early, and then they won a couple of Stanleys later. But it it it, it was a build, and they had to draft well and develop, and they did. Uh, and then they had to trade their way to to uh, whatever they needed. And and now they're at a point where, you know, uh, Jeff the cupboard's bare. Like they're 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 in a bad spot. They traded Kessel this year, but they're. You know, before the before the cap, I don't think you'd see that. I think you would have found a way if you were uh, Jim Rutherford to trade around and, and reload, as it were. Now it's almost impossible. You have your run, you have your window of opportunity, but th- I mean, this sounds crazy. But there's going to be a point in the next four or five years where somebody's going to come calling about Sidney Crosby, and and the the Penguins aren't going to be very good, and and uh, Malkin would probably go first, but. It's possible that he ends up moving to another team just because the Penguins would have to rebuild. It's crazy, isn't it? Yep, it's absolutely it is. crazy. It is. It's uh, uh, the 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 world of sports has changed since I was a kid. I don't think it's necessarily bad because I do like the the strategy that you can sort of play along at home sort of thing. But it's it's uh, it's also the idea. There are some things you've had to give up. One of them is a player playing in his town or or his uh, original. Uh, uh, city uh, for for his entire career. I think it's unlikely to continue. Ah, great stuff, Al. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you on a Saturday, my good friend. Love talking to you. We uh, really do have to do it more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I got to get you on my show, but you're never in town, man. It's been the uh, summer tour has just been crazy, but I'm telling you what, there is so much to talk about as, of course, NHL, NFL kickoff, but the MLB playoffs, this whole oh, landscape, oh. there's so much to talk about in MLB. I'd love to do it. I'm around this week. All right, well, let's get you on for sure. Great, Al. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All right, everybody. we got to cut out for a quick break. The text question of the day, who do you believe is the greatest impact team player of all time? We're going to go through your answers right after this, and Connor and I are going to preview our teams and storylines to watch as the NFL kicks off this weekend. If you have any performance questions, comments, or smart remarks, text Crusher at 101260 and follow him on Twitter at Jeff Crush. Now, here he is, the Crusher. All right, everybody, welcome back to Crush Performance. Jeff Crushell here, the con man behind the glass. Hey, get in touch with us. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. You can Search out Crush Performance, and we're right there. Hey, listen, we don't have much time, but just coming off a fantastic conversation with Al Mitchell, host of The Low Tide on TSN 1260 here every weekday morning. And also, he writes for The Athletic, and I caught a glimpse of his article last week just breaking down Connor McDavid's contribution to the Oilers. And it really got me thinking about talent and the power of top talents in sport. And that brings us to our text question of the day, which is, who do you think is the greatest impact team player of all time. It's a tough one. It really is. Our first text right off the bat was, sadly, Bill Belichick. And, and you know what? I, I didn't really think about the coaching or you know GM-type type positions. But listen, if you want to have an impact on, a, on your franchise, 
you better have the right leadership in place. Yeah, and uh, he, he's built up that culture in New England. If you don't fit in, you're not going to be there very long, and, and that's a good one. Uh, not really your question, but a very good answer. Yeah, so getting to some of the answers that you guys have uh, thrown in here, pretty easy, 99. You can't argue 99 looking at the impact he had on that franchise and not just the Oilers, but the franchises he went to after his Edmonton Oilers career. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I don't want to say it's just him, but he's probably largely responsible for a second team in the Los Angeles area. The popularity he brought to the game when he was traded to the Kings. Obviously, in New York, he had a, a very big fan base as well. Uh, didn't, didn't reach the Stanley Cup, but made those teams better and made them into contenders. And that brings up another conversation. Not only was he good for the on-ice performance of the franchise, he was great for the community profile of the franchise. Wayne Gretzky, like Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby or Gordie Howe or Rocket Richard, also, I think, impacted hockey in general. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and, and that's one of the things. Obviously, everyone knows his on-ice contributions. He's the greatest player to ever play the game. But I'm not going to go as far as equal, but he, he helped grow the game in the United States. He, he put a face out there that people could watch. The great one, he he had the record, the, the track record of winning. Um, he's big on and off the ice. So what do you think about Bill Russell? If I were to say Bill Russell to you, that came in on the text line here as well. Uh, won a lot with the Celtics. Yeah. A winner. That's oh. what comes to mind. Oh my gosh. So that one's hard to argue as well. Uh, and again, we got to get to Al's comment of Tom Brady. We could talk about Peyton Manning. You could talk about Joe Montana. We can go name after name after name. All these great players had a great impact on their franchise. And you know what I love about um, sport in general, our annual calendar? You know, we're talking about this being our favorite time of the year. I love the draft, the draft time. I love the drafts. Everybody's so optimistic about these new talents coming in. But the NBA draft and the NFL draft are a little bit different, right? Because these players are literally going to step onto the field and potentially impacting their teams this coming season, the season they're drafted. And if you look what happened with Orlando and their signing in the NBA, I mean, this is exciting times when you get sort of these great upcoming talents. We don't know what they're going to do at the top level, but we can project that they're going to have an impact. Yeah, and I mean, for, for a lot of the NBA, it's, it's totally different than hockey. A lot of times you're getting a guy who is 20, 21 years old. Uh, same with football. Uh, when you're drafted into the NFL, you're expected to make an immediate impact, especially if you're an early round pick. If not, you're providing depth and you're playing special teams. Uh, lots of optimism at draft time. Connor, where do we draw the line here? So here's a great one from broker Dan. Mario Lemieux, not just when he played, but the fact that he was willing to take the risk in order to save the franchise as an owner. Oh, that one's hard to argue as well because, uh, yeah, that is impacting That is impacting a franchise. The question, the greatest impact team player of all time. But uh, you, can't, you can't argue... Lemieux on either side of that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, the, the guy that I was going with was Magic Johnson. Uh, one of only two players to average 10 assists or over 10 assists. He's the all-time assist per game, plus he could put up points. He was an all-star. He won, and he also became part owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. So uh, that's who I went with for, for me, but Mario's another great one. Okay, and I love your answer. That's a great answer. So I'm torn. I have two at the top, and I have a pool of about 100 afterwards. But I have Jordan and Gretzky at the top of my list. And I, I would have to flip a coin to go with either one of those players because I think what Jordan did, not just for basketball, but for sport in general, 
probably outshines uh, what Gretzky did because the NBA is just so much bigger. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, just in terms of the major media markets and, you know, being in the United States, it just is bigger. And basketball around the world is pretty big. So is hockey. But I think I think Gretzky, unfortunately, not in Salt City of Edmonton, but it's just not as big of a market as Chicago playing yeah. in the northeastern states. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I just still to this day, kids are talking about Jordan and their Air Jordans and his ability to you know, market itself, but he was such a, just a great ambassador for sports. So, so, all right, great. Hey, thanks everybody for your answers. There's still some coming in. So we'll mention those as they come in, but before we cut out the NFL season is underway and Connor, we know, is it safe to say that the NFL is your number one sport as a fan? Yes. As a fan, it is definitely my number one sport. So you're kind of my go-to NFL guy. There's lots of stories that I do follow, but one of the top stories I am going to uh, throw towards you. Uh, one of the stories, I guess it's kind of over now, but it's one of the stories I think this year that's going to impact the NFL and certainly a few teams in more ways than one is the retirement of Andrew Luck. I mean, that's a, a kind of out of nowhere and took a lot of people by surprise, but that's a game changer for a franchise. It was. And I, I think in the franchise, there, there had to be some people whispering that it might have happened. And, you know, luckily for them, he had missed some time earlier and they went out and, and acquired Jacoby Brissett from the New England Patriots. But that, that is a game changer. We're seeing a quarterback, uh, an all pro having this happen. And uh, yeah, that, that one changes the game. And now you got to think that there are going to be more players out there thinking, you know, is football fun? Is it worth it? Right. You you have that scholarship, get your degree because football's not going to last forever. Chris Borland a few years ago retired. It's being more and more common, but I think now we're just talking about it because it is a big name quarterback. Yep, sure. And I think we're starting to see these players retire before their time for a lot of different reasons, right? Uh, getting back to our text question of the day. <laughs> this is a great one. Okay, so um, the question is greatest impact team player of all time. Uh, Tiger Woods, of course, comes up because it's hard to ignore Ty Tiger Woods, even though golf is not necessarily a team, unless you're talking about Ryder Cup or something. But I like this one. You know, we just talked about Jordan and his recognition globally as a sport icon. Tiger Woods was more recognized than Jesus, <laughs> which is funny uh, because I think it's true. I think there's not too many people on this planet that don't know that name, but I don't know if he's necessarily a game changer. Um, okay. Hey. Connor, quickly, your team to watch this year in the NFL. Your uh, number one team. Number one team to watch outside the Chargers, the Cleveland Browns. Okay, you're, it's mine. I'm, it's <laughs> my number one team to watch for a lot of good reasons. We'll talk more about that next week on Crush Performance. Hey, want to thank you guys for tuning in. Got to thank Low Tide Alan Mitchell for uh, coming in and sharing his uh, great sport intelligence. Coming up next week, we are talking with sports scientist Joe Baker from York University. We're looking at specialization, talent ID, and the dynamic system of development. So stay tuned for that one. We'll talk to you then. Don't forget to ride. This is a place for my head quick fix on Radio Influence. I don't respond well to negative reinforcement. So I'm a very positive reinforcement type of person in the workplace. And it's the, it's the negative reinforcement type of situation. It just, it, it shuts me down. Like I'm, I'm not, that doesn't give me any aspirations or like I don't get excited to do something uh, if I'm if, if someone's going to treat me you know like that in a negative way and expect you know an outcome that's un, unimaginable in that scenario right yeah, I, I don't need somebody to tell me that I fucked up I know I fucked up right <laughs> and trust me nobody's going to be harder than uh, I am on myself
Yep, so you likewise. coming over telling me that I'm a piece of crap, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't do anything for me. A Place for My Head with Brandon Thompson and Jerry P. Tuck can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.